The Big Money Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, now offering canned versions of their Captain's Coolers. Featuring Bonfire Berry and Citrus Cruise, canned Captain's Coolers are available in six-packs via curbside pickup or online at MissouriWine.com. Hello, and welcome to the Big Money Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice, playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. And this week, our guest is from the beyond. We have Eric Early from Portland, Oregon, indie rock act Blitz and Trapper. Now, I've been a big fan of Blitz and Trapper for more than a decade now, so it was a big deal for me to be able to hop on a Zoom call with this guy whose music has touched my heart in many ways over the years to talk about homelessness in Portland, Oregon, and also lineup changes in the face of COVID-19. But before we get to the music, I want to take an opportunity to just reconnect with you folks. How are you doing? How have you been? I just feel like life is a whirlwind that I'm just trying to catch up and get my bearings back and keep my feet planted. In particular, in regards to this show, it's just like we're we're laying down the tracks and uh, in front of a train that's just barreling down on me, and I, I, it's not slowing down. It's just picking up speed. I was trying to take a break, really. I was doing the the summer mixtape thing, and honestly, I was hoping to do that from July through August, and yet we just keep on having the great fortune of booking some great national acts. And a lot of that, in fact, all of it, let me be honest, is due to the fact that we made a big change in terms of what we're doing on the behind the scenes when it comes to the Big Money Music Hour. And we brought on Ruth Acuff as a producer for the show. And Ruth Acuff, who I've mentioned on the show in the past, is a musician in the Missouri area. She is a harpist at heart, but she's also the lead singer of the pop rock act, The Royal Furs. And Ruth is the type of individual that is a dreamer at the end of the day. She has boundless imagination. And I knew that if I brought her into the fold in terms of what we're trying to do with the Big Money Music Hour, the good things would happen. And honestly, I'm remiss that I am under the gun in terms of making sure I get the show out to you folks this week. And that she's not here right now, because that, but, but that's going to happen soon. We're going to bring Ruth into the fold in a big way, and you're going to get to meet her, because I essentially charge her with the task of going out and getting some national acts. And, you know, I, we, I came up with a wish list of acts saying these, these would be good bands for us to approach and, you know, we'll incentivize these bands and say, hey, we'll give your act the entire hour and we'll we'll sit down, we'll have a chat, we'll play your tracks. And, you know, I, I figured we'd get, you know, one or two, but she's gone and gotten us like five 
national acts that honestly are beyond my my wildest dreams in terms of how successful she's she's been so far so this week we have eric early from blitz and trapper last week we had lucy dacus and next week we have nick hexham from 311 311 nick hexham celebrating their 30 year anniversary we're gonna have him on the show we're gonna be spinning 311 all hour long the following week I have Jack from the Psychedelic Porn Crumpets, who I've played on the show before, and you might not know who they are, but let me tell you, Psychedelic Porn Crumpets are a fantastic psychedelic rock band out of Australia, and literally, as I'm recording this, I I just finished recording a, a really, really fun interview with Jack, direct from Perth, Australia. It's 11 right now. Uh, it was 9 o'clock when I started the interview, and it was 10 a.m. the the following day in Perth. And uh, had a really great chat with him. And beyond that, we have Jamie O'Neill, a Grammy-nominated country artist that we also have in the pipeline for a show in the near future. So... A lot of stuff's happening, and you know, we as a result of how successful Ruth has been in terms of her booking of these national acts, I could see how it could open up the show to some criticism in terms of how it might be going against the grain of our mission of playing what's relevant in Midwest music first, but that's really only a byproduct of just how successful Ruth has been. I didn't, we, we didn't intend for this essentially. And we are going to be rolling back uh, in the future, our uh, national artists to where they're not going to cover the entire hour, but we're sticking to our word in terms of what we offered up to these national artists as we tried to book them. So I just want to let you all know, for the next few weeks, <laughs> I, I guess I apologize, but we're going to have some pretty big names on the show. And all I want to say is that I promise you I'm going to make it up to you in the long run in terms of making sure that we integrate the Midwest talent that our mission is beset to expose. So that's my promise to you, dear listener. The Big Money Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, located in Rocheport, Missouri. Les Bourgeois has been a mid-Missouri winery for more than three decades, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois Vineyard wines are available at your local retailer and online at MissouriWine.com. Support also comes from Mount Nebo Inn and Guide Service, located across from Meriwether Cafe and the Katy Trail in Rocheport, Missouri. Mount Nebo Inn offers lodging, space for events, and boat-guided wine tours of the Missouri River. For more information, visit mountneboinn.com. Support also comes from Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, offering southern-style sandwiches from their food truck and take-and-bake buttermilk biscuits in the freezer section of Columbia-area Hy-Vees, Clovers, and The Root Cellar. More information at ozarkmountainbiscuits.com. 
And finally, the Big Money Music Hour is presented by Burr Oak Brewing Company. Located just 10 minutes from downtown Columbia, east on I-70, Burr Oak Brewing Company has a 15,000 square foot space that makes social distancing while drinking a beer and having a pizza very much possible. For more information, visit burroakbeer.com. listening to the Big Money Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Laveau, the shameless voice. And this week we have none other than Eric Early from Blitzen Trapper out of Portland, Oregon on the show. I've been a big fan of Blitzen Trapper for, geez, I guess since 2008, whenever their album Fur really kind of jettisoned them to a whole nother level in the musical stratosphere nationally. And they've been indie darlings of mine ever since. I booked them for Peddler's Jamboree a few years back, and I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. I start off with the same question for every artist that I have on the show. doesn't matter where they're from, whether they're from my backyard or from afar, because I, I feel like everyone has a different musical journey at the end of the day. And there's always that one moment, or at least a, a time, where people, uh, musicians rather, find themselves on that musical journey. So what, what set you on that path? What, what was it that made you think to yourself, you know, I, I, I want to pick up a guitar and, and play music for people? Uh, man, I've been playing music since I was just a little kid. Um, and so for me, performing was kind of just something I always did. I don't know that there was a single moment or something it was more just like a whole lot of playing as a kid and then um, seeing my parents perform here and there and my sisters and I just came from a musical family. So we kind of, there was just always performances going on basically. What type of performances were going on? Were, you, were your parents like active musicians or? Uh, before I was born, they were more active. And then after I was born, they, they were still performing here and there like, doing songs and church services or like events, stuff like that. It's like folk music stuff. Um, and then my sisters played, I performed with my, one of my older sisters when I was a kid, we would perform folk music uh, at like uh, Saturday markets and stuff like that. What age was that? How, how old were you when that was going uh, on? I was doing that in like junior high and high school. So uh, when did you first pick up the guitar? Uh, I was probably like six years old. My dad had guitars and banjos and stuff. And so I just kind of started playing when my hands were big enough. He started showing me chords and stuff like that. Started learning some people, other people's songs. So you, you would play in the markets with your sisters, playing folk tunes and things of that sort. When did, did you get into a band in high school or anything like that? Was, I mean, you've, you've been in, you know, 
the, playing with the same guys for a very long time in, in Blitz and Trapper, but were there any acts, you know, before that where you're trying to get out and play clubs in the Portland area? Uh, so I grew up in Salem, which is uh, like 40 minutes south of Portland and much smaller town back then. Um, and I had a high school band, a couple of high school bands, and we would play just like house parties and stuff like that. Uh, we probably did more practicing and fooling around than performing at that point because there wasn't a whole lot of places to play in town back then. I was uh, reading up and it came to find that before Blitz and Trapper was a thing, you performed as, and pardon me if I'm, I'm mispronouncing this, it was called Garmon Bosia. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So around 2000, you guys hooked up and it seems at least from what, what I've been able to extrapolate, it's very much almost the, the same lineup as what you have now with Blitz and Trapper. Am I, am I wrong about that? Yeah, it was pretty much the same. There was another person, there was a bunch of us because it was like a psychedelic, a very sprawling psychedelic band that was very like, we did all kinds of weird stuff. It was, uh, yeah, and it was named after like a really obscure reference to a uh, that movie Firewalk with Me, David Lynch. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We only played in Portland, though. It was really just an excuse to party and like hang out. Now, for me, being in a band is is in a lot of ways like being in a marriage <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a very uh intensive relationship that requires a lot of patience and chemistry in order to make it work how after all, basically 20 years do you guys you know keep it fresh i mean you you have you, you just have to be super tight beyond family at this point how are you guys able to to, to make that that work so well i don't know I mean, we've had a lot of struggles over the years and issues and stuff with, you know, different dynamics and some substance abuse and some just different stuff that's gone on. But I don't know. For the most part, we've always just come from the same place and see the world in similar ways. And I don't know. We've always been able to just uh, keep focus and have like a vision for for things. Um, at this point, I don't I don't know that we'll ever tour in that lineup again it's hard to say some guys are moving some guys are not performing anymore i don't know that touring will happen again at this point i don't know but you know we did it for over 10 years you know 10 years roughly and yeah all that time we've remained really close you know know. strange actually (laughs) what's the relationship been like since since covid fit hit have you guys been like talking at all or has just been I mean, you're gearing up for an album release in the middle of COVID, which you can imagine just is probably a, probably pretty disappointing because normally you'd be out out there hitting the road, sharing this this uh, this music, and it's really great music. I'm loving the new material, but I mean, what, what's it been like for you guys uh, trying to to cope with our our modern human condition? Yeah, I mean, I. I had scheduled a couple short tours for the fall that aren't happening now. Um, and, you know, we're kind of scaling back anyway. I had put this, I, I decided to put this record out and it was a record that not all the guys played on, um, which isn't uncommon for Blitz, for Blitz and Trapper, but the lineup for this album on the road was going to change as well, just because of different life changes for, for some of the guys. Um, so I don't know. We were kind of gearing up for uh, some bigger changes, but then when COVID happened, 
all the tour, all the shows disappeared. And so now we're, we've all just kind of been doing our own thing. One of the guys has bought some property in the, on the mountain. They're making a restaurant out of it or something, something out of it. Another guy has got a job in LA. Like everybody's kind of doing their, I, I've got a, a job that I've been working um, full time as well. So I, I don't know. It's everything's changed so much. It's hard to say. I, I don't know that, Anyone will ever see the original Blitz and Trapper lineup again <laughs> at this point? Jeez, well, that's uh, yeah, that's. There's so many COVID casualties, whether it be businesses or band lineups. It's just that's just un- unfortunate to see. But you know, change happens, and we have to roll with the punches at the end of the day. And yeah, I want to talk to you about your full time job here in a little bit because uh, I've heard about what you've been doing and uh, I find it very interesting. I definitely have some questions on that. Before we get much further, I want to interject some music into this conversation and I'm going to play this song that, that I've, where I first tuned into you guys and it was on a, a local college station here in Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is at. And whenever I first heard this song come across the radio, it really just entranced me. And the song I'm talking about is Black River Killer. And it's essentially a murder ballad. Where did the inspiration for that song come from? Because it feels like essentially a, 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 a ballad that could be set on the Western Plains or in the wild, wild West. And it feels like that, but to me, you, as, as I interpret it, but uh, you have such a knack for painting such poetic and in-depth landscapes with your words and the music that you write with that song in particular, where, how did that one come about? Yeah, it's been a long time. I don't know. Uh, I think that one was a distillation of, um, I was reading some Cormac McCarthy at the time and some of his uh, characters that he's created. Uh, The Judge actually from uh, Evening Redness in the West. And then I think I blended that character with uh, some sort of mythology from my own family, one of my uncles who disappeared. I don't know. And then a lot of it was just sort of me just imagineering this kind of surrealist. I wanted to create like a magical realist uh, uh, murder ballad, you know, one that kind of felt real, but also kind of felt like fantasy or something. I don't know. Well, you definitely hit that mark. It almost has an ethereal feel while being very much grounded in that I, you said Cormac McCarthy, and you could have just stopped there because it, it totally does emote that wild bloodlust that you get with some of his novels. And you all are based out of Portland, and I absolutely love Portland. It's one of the only three other places in the continental United States I would consider living <laughs> in, a, in all actuality. And I would have to imagine that that environment has been uh, really conducive for you in terms of uh, how you have developed, as, just Oregon itself, uh, how you've developed as, as a songwriter and an artist and a musician. Can you talk to me a little bit about the scene out there and how maybe that has potentially nurtured you and where you're at as an artist? Uh, you know, over the years, the scene has changed so much. When we were starting out, you know, 10 years ago, it was much different. It was a really 
uh, kind of insular scene. Not everybody was touring, um, but it was really tight. There was a lot of bands that were, we were all either friends or playing shows together or whatever, um, which was really cool, you know? And there was a festival, PDX Pop Now, that we all kind of would play every year and hang out and it was cool. It felt like, like, like a classic kind of music scene back at that point, you know? And then when we got signed and started touring and stuff, we kind of lost touch with the scene for the most part, although we continue to hang out with a lot of touring bands um, off and on, like the Thermals were a band that we were friends with them. Um, Helio Sequence was around uh, a lot of these groups out of Portland. Um, so the scene was really, it was really cool and it was really special, you know. Um, at this point, it's been a while since any of us have really been a part of the, the current music scene, uh, just because we've gotten older and we've kind of toned back our touring as well. Um, and we really don't play locally too much, maybe once a year, something like that. Um, but yeah, like from the beginning, it was a pretty nurturing environment for sure. Uh, what is the writing process like for you? So, you, you know, you mentioned that uh, with this new record, you wrote and seemingly uh, recorded a handful of these songs without... Uh, some of the more traditional lineup for Blitz and Trapper, but is it semi-collaborative or are you coming with full-fleshed ideas and, and driving the ship essentially? Yeah, I've generally recorded all the demos on my own and kind of arranged things that way. And I, I really, I really only have been writing. Like when I write, it's usually just pretty isolated. It's like just me writing. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to the live show, we kind of will hash out a version that makes sense for the five of us. But in the studio, it's always kind of been like, I kind of already know what's going what's to happen here and there. And then the guys will come in and play on things, uh, depending. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm sort of the one that's that's dreaming it all up. Well, you're dreaming up some great stuff, man. That brings me to uh, the next song off of your 2010 release, Destroyer of the Void, which my favorite track off of that record is uh, The Man Who Would Speak True. And in an odd way, even though it's it's about a much different character than uh, the character that is the center focus for Black River Killer, I've always kind of associated that song as almost like a sister song to the, the man who would speak true. Was that intentional or is that just by, by happenstance? Is there some thread that, that ties those two songs together? Yeah, it was me wanting to write another bird ballad, which I hadn't done for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I wanted it to be even more surreal and have, and, and have sort of almost a more like biblical imagery to it, like a more ancient kind of like, you know, cause it's about this guy who's, whose tongue grows into a tree and like, it's just a really surreal kind of song. Um, even more so than Black River Killer, I think. And then the instrumentation is much simpler. It's just me and a guitar really. Mm-hmm. A little harmonica here and there. I want it to be even more lonely and kind of more distant, you know? You mentioned your job earlier. You're working a, a full-time job as a result of uh, COVID-19. And I've come to understand you're, you're a caseworker for a homeless shelter. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been working there uh, since like 2018. 
I took some time off to do a little bit more touring, but then I, with COVID, I've been just doing it full time since so you, last fall, really. So do you have like a background in, in social work? How, how did that, that come about? Um, no, I don't, but I, I have a back, a background, um, with, uh, homelessness and, uh, and also uh, with substance abuse. And, and so my, my background, which is similar to a lot of the guys that are case managers there who've gone through recovery programs even and live in recovery homes or whatever, a lot of uh, those guys have just sort of firsthand experiences with homelessness, um, which is what I have. And so um, a lot of times that kind of experience is, is way more valuable than having learned that kind of stuff. School of hard knocks for real. <laughs> and that's, and that's how a lot of, a lot of these places are run by people who were in that position because it's just, I don't know. There's a certain, there's certain things you understand about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, that's, uh, it's really amazing that that's what you're, you're doing by day is, is helping folks, you know, most in need uh, and then by night you're a rock star. I just, I think that's, that's a, a pretty, pretty interesting dynamic. I would also imagine that, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily, uh, I didn't know that you had dealt with homeless, homelessness in the past, for instance, you bring that up, but I would have to imagine that not only your experiences with, working with folks that are, are dealing with it in the present and your past experiences has had to have played, I would imagine, a, a role in how you've developed as, as an artist. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it... I mean, I, 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 was, I was sort of floating and uh, I was homeless for two years before Blitz and Trapper... Um, got signed. And so getting signed off of a couple demos on MySpace is really what pulled me out of that. Otherwise I was kind of just floating, but, um, so for me, it's kind of, it's been a, it's been a while. Um, but it's always kind of those experiences always kind of stuck with me. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, those ex- those experiences and th- and then the things that I'm dealing with now that there's so much tie in to a lot of my writing and just a lot of the way that I see the world for sure. So is there, uh, in particular, with this new album that that's coming out, Holy Smokes, Future Jokes, uh, has your experiences in terms of the the homeless shelter played into the themes of this album at all? That's a good question. Maybe. I don't know if it has like consciously, maybe subconsciously. Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, that's how it's. That's the thing, you know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a songwriter too, and you know, I'm whenever <laughs> I'll write a song, and I, th- I think it's about one thing, and then after I'll, I'll sing it a hundred times, I'm like, well, oh, this is this actually is kind of more related to another experience that that I'm, that I had that I didn't think was related to that, or maybe I was kind of projecting, you know, uh, something on, on, on the, to another individual, but it was really about me the whole time, you know? So 
Yeah, no, it's that's interesting, and I, I'm I'm really excited to hear the rest of the record as it comes out. In 2013, y'all released my favorite Blitz and Trapper album, and that was Seven. Seven is all killer, no filler, man. I I love every track on it, and it has its own vibe. I I put it in a separate column from all the other Blitz and Trapper albums because you kind of have these almost hip hop beats and almost hip hop. Uh, flow to your musical delivery while still maintaining this kind of uh, psychedelic alt country undertones. It's I've probably listened to it more than any other Blitz and Trapper album, but I'm, I've always been curious what what drove you guys to to go that direction on that album because it is definitely like a, a very uh, marked and deviation. Yeah, I don't know. I think I was just experimenting in the studio a bunch with like beats and samples and just weird sounds and stuff. And I was probably listening to a lot of Wu-Tang at the time would be my guess. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that, that happens when you listen to Wu-Tang. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, cause I, I think on like Black River Killer has sort of these hip hop elements to it as well. that are more understated. Um, but yeah, I think I was just like, Oh, I'm going to pull these elements in even more and see what happens. Um, yeah, that's a weird record, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. I, I, like I said, I perform a couple songs from that record because it's so studio heavy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually that's a good point. I, and I don't, I don't know that I remember if you played any songs from it at Peddler Chambry a couple of years ago. So we've been talking a lot about Portland. Uh, you're a caseworker at a homeless shelter in Portland and Portland's been in the news quite a bit recently particular uh, most recently as we're recording this uh, in regards to reports of uh, unarmed federal agents grabbing people and stuffing them in vans in the midst of protests that are happening you know that obviously the protests are happening nationwide but it almost seems like what was happening in portland in regards to these uh, goons grabbing people and stuffing them into vans is unfortunately seeming to be a potential precursor to what's going to be happening in other parts of the nation. But being on the ground there, I have to ask in particular, uh, because you, given the nature of what's currently your full-time job, what's, what's the tone there? Like what, what uh, have you, have you, have you seen instances like this have reverberated through the community? Yeah. I, I haven't gone to any protests. I just, I don't have, the energy or bandwidth to because my my job is really intense um but some some of the younger guys that i work with have gone uh to the protests quite a bit um and then uh half of our staff is african-american my boss is an african-american woman so um they they've i've talked to them a lot about the, the movement and kind of with their thoughts on it and um so yeah and then Lately, there's been a lot of stories about people. I mean, we know people who have been picked up by the federal agents. And according to the federal agents, they hold them for an hour and let them go. But um, some people have been held for up to four days in an unknown location with a blindfold on. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's insane. Stories you hear on the ground are really bizarre, but... I mean, it's funny because the, the, the guys, like the, the cl- our clients, like the homeless guys, <laughs> they, they don't really have a whole lot of 
it doesn't really seem to touch it. Like they walk through it unscathed, you know, like to them, it's just another day. Yeah. They have a whole nother battle to fight. Yeah. Yeah. And they maybe are in proximity to it, but for them, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, Oh, another day in paradise or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) I think COVID has had an interesting effect on, on the city. Um, I mean, we have a really low infection right there and people are really vigilant about masks and stuff. And so that's been really good. Um, but like the shelters and stuff, like the lockdown on the shelters with mask wearing and stuff has been pretty intense. But for the most part, I don't know of any, I don't know of any homeless people who have actually gotten the virus. They seem immune to it. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> I mean, we got a hundred guys and there's, it hasn't happened. Well, that's a blessing in and of itself. Other places, you know, other places where they've had outbreaks and stuff, you know, nearby. But yeah, we've we've been really blessed to steer clear of that. You have this new album coming out, Holy Smokes, Future Jokes. Uh, so as of the time I'm recording this, uh, there's three tracks you guys have released, and I've been playing them nonstop. Uh, what what's the uh, what's the driving force behind this record? Obviously, it's being released in the midst of the, the COVID pandemic, but I imagine you were probably writing this stuff before all this happened, right? Or or is this a little bit more recent? Probably a year ago is when I wrote most of it. Over a year ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got really obsessed with the Tibetan Book of the Dead, basically, <laughs> and. Uh, so most of the songs revolve around that book, to be honest. Um, and then a lot of it uh, is dealing with um, uh, mental health. Like, uh, like to answer your question before, so a lot of the stuff deals with mental health as it relates to just uh, people who hear voices, schizophrenia. A lot of the stuff that I come that I'm in contact with every day, all the time, dealing with with people I work with um yeah so those are kind of the two and then and then some of it has you know there's certain songs that have to do with climate change like sort of thinking about that as well um yeah but the majority of the record revolves around the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the ideas contained within uh chapter 11 which is the main chapter yeah or book 11 so in terms of a song like Masonic Temple Microdose number one, is that is is that a piece of fiction or is that something that actually happened? <laughs> As, did you oh, it's a little of both. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine that I guess the uh, the common thread here is the fact that uh here there's there's a little bit of uh fiction and nonfiction and just about just about every song that we've covered almost, but I, I really, <laughs> I really dig that song. And it, I feel like it definitely ties back to your, your theme talking about climate change. Cause there's that line, let's, let's do the world a favor. Yeah. Let's all go extinct. And <laughs> it's a sardonic line and it's and uh, sarcastic, but there's so much truth to that, unfortunately, because, you know, as it pertains to climate change, COVID's just a dress rehearsal for what, we're going to be dealing with is that real as the ramifications of climate change really ramp up and i, I absolutely dig the song eric 
Thank you so much for taking the time out of a, a busy and stressful life, helping the good people on the streets of Portland to hop on the Big Money Music Hour and talk about music for a bit. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Big Money Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, is produced by LV Creative and KBIAFM, an NPR station broadcasting from Columbia, Missouri. The show is hosted, written, and edited by Colin Laveau. Theme song written by Pat Kay. Outro song written by Crip Trip. Videographer is Matt Matlack of LV Creative, co-produced by Kyle Felling, Mike Dunn, and Alicia Laveau. For more Big Money Music Hour content, be sure to subscribe to the Big Money Music Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts.